So I'm meeting today with Kathy Gilbody. Um, she's currently the adjunct clinical associate professor um, at the graduate programs in physical therapy at MGH Institute of Health Professions in Boston. She also serves as the senior physical therapist at News Newton Wellesley Hospital in Newton, Massachusetts. Um, Kathy was one of the first neurologic clinical specialists and is a Katherine Worthingham Fellow. So tell me what your role was um, in the two-step and the three-step conferences. So when I went to two-step, it, 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 my mind just kind of blew up because <laughs> we, it was clear that um, the thinking was going you know, much more towards sort of these initial frameworks of thinking about clinical decision-making and practice and um, um, you know, moving towards um, um, standardized early measures um, of, of function. And, um, but we were heavily impairment-based still, I'd say, at that time. So th there was that sort of shift towards thinking about function. And I would say the other, the other big thing that I came back with was to speak, you know, really beginning to think differently about um, patients with the same diagnosis in terms of how they presented differently and how right. they, they were people and uh, what some of the sort of personal factors were that might impact their response to therapy. And one of my most memorable um, things from, that I do remember from, from two-step was Patty Leahy's presentation. Oh, you weren't there. Patty presented this framework of a patient with TBI. It was like a case report. It was later published. And she just did a beautiful job um, exploring the questions that a therapist can ask herself or himself and the decision-making um, um, yeah. uh, for going through all the various elements of what we now refer to as the patient-client management model, but we didn't have a name for it then. Um, and, um, and then asking a bunch of questions about practice, um, introducing the concept that therapy is practice and therapists are coaches. And that really wasn't how we saw ourselves um, at that point in time, at least not in Boston. Um, so that was, you know, I, I came back and I really started thinking very differently about my patients and looking across my patients and started to think about patterns and started to think about not just doing things with my hands on the patient, but taking my hands off the patient right. and allowing them to make mistakes. And, and all that was sort of the beginning of, of those shifts in thinking. In three-step, um, you know, I had, I had a different perspective for three-step, partly because I was uh, lucky enough to be one of the organizers and therefore very involved in the programming planning. And we had some amazingly bright um, people who had a, connections that were in the research world and in the science world. Mm. Um, and they had started to bridge those gaps um, as physical therapists that we would that we needed to start to bridge and they were sort of at the forefront of that. And so as we planned the programming committee of the program as as, as it evolved, um, you know, I was so excited by the time we got there to understand that we were gonna really start to understand and learn more about, you know, plasticity um, and different interventions that actually had now been started to be studied <laughs> for their efficacy. Um, and the shift um, towards 
again, a more complete shift that had started at two-step, but towards, you know, really thinking about things more on an enablement model, model with the patient um, as opposed to a disablement model, not what, what, what are the impairments, what's the patient's problem, but what are the resources, what's left, right. and how can we use that. It's um, a big model shift. Huge, huge shift. Um, and, and so, you know, we had very... Um, we had very, I had so many aha moments at that meeting um, where I would, um, things would kind of just click in my brain and I'd say, oh, so that, that now makes sense and I can think about a couple of ideas or they were discussed or presented to try and do things a little differently, um, whether it was with practice or it was with strength training with patient groups that we thought really didn't need strength training, but mm, yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was, you know, I felt like I was able to come home from three-step with some really, you know, um, different ideas and concepts that were emerging that I could use in practice. So, you know, we all know that neurology section or academy members can be a little wild and crazy at times. <laughs> what, what sort of either behind the scenes or in front of the scenes, um, crazy things happened either at two-step or three-step that you remember. Um, I also remember meeting, meeting Ken, Kenda Fuller yeah. in the pool. And she had just taken the NCS exam a year ahead of me. And uh, I, was, I was decided I was going to do it. And I, I'll never forget what she said. What, what she told me, what she shared with me, was that she had taken it the first time and not passed. Um, but she um, had decided, no, we took, did we take it together? I don't know, anyhow. Um, I think I took it the third year. So she must have taken it the first and the second year. So she was going to take it again. And, and that's because she came out of it and said um, that it, it, she could pass it. Like she just had to think about the questions and, you know, it was so, you know. Yes. And, and so I thought, oh, that's great. I'm going to definitely do it because so that was like a sort of a very influential kind of conversation because I thought, well, if this person who, who I, we had talked about balance and she was doing some of the same work in Colorado I was doing in Boston, she can do it, so that's great. And so that's, we started some, you started some really nice relationships at these meetings, people that right. you met and, and we've stayed in touch with. So, so Kendra went and she took it and she passed and then I went the following year and took it and I came, I came out of the meeting and I thought, out of the exam, I thought, I have no idea if I passed that exam. And I did, but by one point. <laughs> Isn't that fabulous? Unbelievable. But that's all that matters, and right? And I tell everyone the story that's taking the exam because she influenced me. And like her, her resilience and her persistence and her like, ah, I can do this and I want to do it. Her motivation like really made me take the step. And then I want people to know that because, you know, it could have gone either way and I would have gone back again. Right. Um, so I sort of remember, you know, those kind of more personal moments. And then from three-step... Honestly, it was a blur. Um, so Whitney you have to on the talk bowl. about you have to so talk Whitney about. on the bull was just a nut. So, so what happened with the bull? Well, honestly, I wasn't at that. We were we had a planning meeting that night, so I didn't get to go to the to the event. So I only heard about it. But um, were you there? I actually I was there. Yeah. So so yeah. So I can't I can't tell the story, but. What I can tell is that um, Sue decided, to, what I understand happened is that Sue decided to, to um, instead of just riding the bull for fun, 
wager bets and generate revenue for the section. Right. So it ended up being a fundraiser. Exactly. How long she could stay on it. And don't you know that damn Sue Whitney stayed on that bull. (laughs) And since then, um, well, within days of the conference ending, that Sue Whitney on a bull, video and pictures (laughs) streamed across the country. And most of us still have those. as, and she carried that even to CSM the following yes. year. Yeah, so yeah, we had to get our, the, I guess, our energies out. The, the things that people will do, the crazy things people will do to raise money for the exactly. section or academy. It was a great example. Yeah, yeah, I was sorry that I had missed that. So I have to tell you that I um, am a great admirer of yours um, and for a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons that um, I admire you and the work that you've done in your career is that you have um, been able to and and have intentionally bridged that clinician-researcher gap and also been an amazing teaching resource. Um, And and I think that that's something that's difficult for many people to do. And so I wondered if you had any advice on how, how you go about doing that and how did you do it? I mean, because it's a, it's a, that's a big task. Yeah, yeah. So I have just been so blessed to be in in a, in an environment professionally where all those opportunities were available to me. So you know, I got out of um, PT school and I went to work at the MGH where I had done a clinical affiliation, and so that's just a very vibrant, you know, high cognitive load type of practice and across professions. You know, it's it's fast-paced and so that you know that's an environment that's very stimulating and there are people around you that are always learning and and um, so I was stimulated to to continue to learn and and um, so you know five years after I graduated the MGH opened the post-professional program for physical therapists at the MGH Institute which had previously just been a nursing program and so that that was a um, advanced master's degree back in the time when we were still baccalaureate trained so I had the opportunity to do some advanced clinical training, and in in a, in the, in the educational model was one that was clinically focused, that involved an advanced clinical preceptorship component, as well as a research component. So I was able to go out to Rancho Los Amigos and work there for a couple of, year, a couple of months, as well as I had to do um, a thesis, and that required pretty much a rigorous um, research proposal and actually doing data collection the whole nine yards. The expectations were really crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did it part-time, and so by the time I finished that program, I felt like I had um, a really good ex- you know, experience in clinical research. And then there were people adra- attracted to the faculty at the MGH Institute that were interested in doing clinical research, and so I was able to get involved in opportunities to do that. And I took those opportunities. And so I feel like I've... Um, and then later in my career, I decided I wanted to um, do some teaching. And Margaret Schenkman, who was on the faculty at the IHP then, said, I need a clinical person to teach this course with me. And that, again, that was the model. Um, it's still the model at the IHP today. And, and so I was inv- you know, able to get involved in teaching. And so I did these various things and basically was able to collaborate with people in that setting in Boston um, and, and, you know, at one point in time, I, I did um, less clinical work, and I, and I worked on some grant writing with Dave Krebs, and we got funded to do some mm-hmm. trials. 
um, and then my time would be maybe four days on the study and one day in the in the clinic and so I was just had lots of opportunities to be flexible and to shift around so I I never had to do what people have to to do often, which is to try to do scholarship, teaching, and practice at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so and then later I decided I wanted to step back and have more time at home for my family. And I was in I was in my best job ever at that point. I was on the faculty full time at the institute, but I had a day a week in the clinic, and I had some relief time from the institute to coordinate the studies that other therapists were then doing back in the PT department at MGH, but it didn't work. The balance didn't work at home because prior, prior to that, I was able to, I always felt like my, my kids and my job, which I loved, were number one and equal. And, and on every day, I might not get to everything on each side of the, of the you know, bucket, but, right. but in general, I did. And I felt like I, you know, things went you know, not always smoothly, but they were good. And, and they were equally important in the same priority. And what I found is the kids got older, and, and my kids are great, but, but as a parent, that my husband and I both being on the fast track, there was no room for error. Right. And so I had to re- reorganize, and we, I, I tried a bunch of things for over like a couple of years to try to change how much time I spent at, at work or to... Um, drop this responsibility and go a little bit less time, and, and, it, and it didn't work. So after two years, I made the really hard decision to leave my job at the Institute and to take no job. And I did that um, for five years but, so that I could be at home because the kids were just growing up. And, and you know, we make the joke that most people don't, if they have children, they don't go back to work when they're infants, but that was really, to me, the very predictable time where it was easy to work and balance everything. And it was when they got to be in school in I second agree. and third grade that they started changing so much. And their, as their world opened up, then the issues and the predictability and helping them and, and being parenting them was not something that it was easy or comfortable to delegate to a nanny. Correct. It just didn't work. Yeah. So then I had this time where I took all my courses that I was teaching in the in the programs, and the MGH Institute had, by that point, added an entry-level program, so I was teaching in two programs, um, and I took the, I went back to the advanced program, which we still had at that time, and I transitioned my courses to online, and so I was able to do online teaching for a while from home, and then just get involved more in APTA and sections things, um, and community things, um, which was what I wanted to do, and um, so I feel like, um, and then, and then more recently, I felt like I needed to get back to the patient. I miss being with patients. Um, I felt like I was able to maintain contacts with colleagues. I can right. I'm on a couple of editorial boards, so I feel like I'm well able to connect with research, with research things, and um, am involved in some things in the section that keep me involved professionally on different right. levels. But I miss patients, so that's when I went back about eight years ago to treating patients. And so that's been great. It's a very flexible mm-hmm. place, and I've done a couple of studies there because that's what they're interested in. And um, and I still and I actually have gone back um, to teaching at one day a week in the course that I developed. And now I'm I'm a, I'm a TA in that class, <laughs> which is great because I get to see what's happened with this course. These courses I developed ten years ago. Right. What's changed? What's you know what's been updated? Um, so I think the advice would be to really look around and take advantages of opportunities that are in people's settings and look for mentors. I mean, I've had a tremendous number of mentors. Um, now I feel like I have a tremendous number of people that 
that follow me, you know, that yes. I meant, mentor. And that's great, too, because I, you still learn from, from them. Um, so I, don't, I guess I don't have any specific information except to, be, to look for opportunities to get involved because they, those opportunities, have, that has been, they've led to other opportunities and right. new experiences. This is the end of the shortened version of the interview with Kathy Gilbody. Download the full interview to hear more stories from her time at both Two-Step and Three-Step. Thank you for listening.